0: Good morning. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate that. Greeting from you, the rest of you. We'll try that again later. Today we'll be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 26. We're going to talk about the power of the promise of God, the purpose of God's law. I wonder how many of you are still on track with your read through a Bible in a year, uh reading, this is May, so that makes you, if you've hung in there, you're about halfway through. But for those of you who dropped out, I wonder where you quit. The burial ground of many hopes and dreams of reading through the Bible in a year ends in about Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you persevere through that and you think it's going to get better, you go through Judges and you think, this is awful, and then you get to 1 Chronicles and you just give up. During that time you're reading, you must be asking yourself, what is this law? Why is there this massive section of Scripture dedicated to laws that seem sometimes overly specific? What's it for? Do we have to keep it? No, we don't. So why is it there? What is it for? What's the purpose? What does it have to do with faith in Christ? Paul is going to teach us something about law. He's going to teach us something about faith today and how faith and law are not the same thing. Law itself is not of faith. It is of works. So I'll begin reading this morning in Galatians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 10 through 26. Explore this together to make sure that you're not trying to justify yourself through works of the law. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Jesus Christ so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is crossed. My point is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I would be shocked, surprised, amazed if one reading of that from the pulpit or in your quiet time that all of that made sense to you and you understood exactly what Paul's saying. He's making a pretty complicated argument to follow. So my job today is to help walk you through it, to understand why law will never be something that can justify you. Paul says that everyone who relies on the works of the law lies under a curse. Because the Bible says that cursed is everyone who does not keep all of them. And so if you do not keep all of the law, you fall under the curse of the law. And the curse of the law is separation from the people of God, and worse, separation from God himself. So if you don't keep every single one of the laws of God all the time, you break just one, you're out. And so everyone falls under the curse of the law because no one keeps the law. There is no one righteous, no, not one. The law itself is not based on faith, Paul says here. It's not about faith. And here's what that means. Working for the law is like working at a job. You agree with your employer. I'm going to work an uh, hourly wage or whatever you work. I'm going to work at your place. Every hour you, I work there, you'll pay me $15. It's a contract. You work an hour, you get your 15 bucks. You work two hours, you get 30 I can't do math beyond that. So as you work, you get your money. It has nothing to do with you thinking your employer is a great person. It has nothing to do with what you think about your employer at all. You work, you get your money. That's how the law, that's how the law works. The problem is we don't do the work, and so the other end of the contract is when you work, if you don't work the hour, you don't get the money. And so because we break the law, the, the thing we don't get is eternal life in time with God because to break the law is to be unholy. It's not based on faith. It is based on works. Faith is not a work, not in the sense where we uh, work for God and he rewards us with faith or eternal life. Rather, faith is just to believe that God says, I will give this to you freely if you will love me. You believe him, be credited to you as righteousness. You break the law, you're rejected by God. You trust and love God, and he will accept you. It's a faith transaction. But all of the law breaking must be taken care of, as we'll talk about that earlier. Every single person in here, you and me, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We understand our sin by looking at the law of God, the greatest of which is love him with all of our heart. Love our neighbor as ourselves. No one has kept these laws. Now, I don't know if our in our day and age that anybody's actually in our groups trying to live their life based on the law of God or an average person out in the United States trying to keep the law of God to justify themselves. And where the law of God is absent, other laws will take that place. Something will be measured to you by your culture, by your world, whether or not you are a righteous person. And I think that that is a lot of what's wrong with the world today. That's a big statement right there, but I believe it's true. It always goes back to the law and faith. Is that the society that we live in puts a lot of pressure for you to believe the right things, to do the right things, to be with the right cause, to do the right thing. And it changes so quickly now, so quickly. What you're supposed to support, what you're not supposed to support. And which side and team you're going to be on. Here's the problem with that. Both sides are being legalists. Oh, you're on my side, you're good. You're on their side, you're a villain. You're on my side, you're good. You're on their side, you're a villain. So I want to support the right causes. I want to agree with the right person on Twitter. I want to agree with the right person on Facebook. I'm going to make my comment saying how smart they are for agreeing with the thing that I say. We may not be based on the law of Scripture, but we have our own laws of things that we should support. And it's very hectic and frenetic trying to keep up with it. And the point is, too, we don't even really do anything about these causes except comment on social media. Very few people even dedicate themselves to any sort of change whatsoever in the world other than their personal betterment or enrichment. By no, it doesn't matter what law or standard you set for yourself, we will fail it. We can agree that it's good with our heart and still disobey the law. Whatever you think makes you a good person, you will fail at that bar. It's frustrating. But the truth is we almost have grace or we will perish. We will perish and our sin will be miserable. We will be trying so hard to accumulate for our self-righteousness, knowing that on the inside we're hypocrites and on the outside thinking, I'm not even sure if this is good. But we want people to think that we're good. Because if people affirm us, then maybe we're good, but deep down we know we're not. It's about affirmation, thinking that we can work. If you live by the law, you will die by it. Live by the law, you will die by the law. The beauty of grace is that this contract of faith came before the contract of the law. Paul says that 430 years... Before Moses stood on Mount Sinai and received the law of God in the form of the Ten Commandments, 430 years before that, God had said to Abraham, Through you I will bless all nations. Through your seed I will bless all nations. Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Not his works, but his faith. It counted to him as righteousness. In fact, when Isaac, after Abraham had passed, God comes to Isaac and speaks to him and passes this promise on to Isaac and he says, Your father Abraham kept all my laws, all my statutes, all my commands. (laughs) We know that Abraham did not keep all the law and all the statutes and all the commands because it hadn't been given they wouldn't be for 430 years. How does he keep all the law, the statutes, and commands? Because he believed God and it was all credited to him for righteousness. 430 years is a long time. So if you were to get in a time machine, which you cannot, fortunately, there's too much philosophical problem with that, And all the movies that have time travel never end well. So you go back in time, 430 years from today, just to let you know how long God gave the commandments before Abraham. The King James translation of the Bible would not even be written for 30 more years. So we'd be before King James. I don't even know how we had any Christians before the King James Bible in 1611. But we did. That was just a shot at King James only, folks. That was just for free. Yeah, how, we didn't even have the King James Bible for 30 more years. The smoke of the burning Spanish Armada was still in the air. The Spanish Armada had only been defeated about three months before today if we had hopped in a time machine and gone back 430 years. 15,000 Spanish soldiers perished as they tried to invade Mary old England with a wooden sailing armada. And cannons blew them up. (laughs) There was no Twitter. There was no social media. There was no electricity. There was no indoor plumbing. It was not a great time to be alive, in my opinion. So 430 years is a long time. So 430 years before Moses stands before the Lord on Mount Sinai, here's the Ten Commandments. They, 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 They did not have the Ten Commandments for 430 years, folks. That amount of time, there were no Ten Commandments. How did people live? How did they know what was right and wrong? How did they get justified by God? They believed him who was credited to them for righteousness. This is the covenant the Lord gives to Abraham. He made a simple but amazing promise to Abraham as we went over just several months ago in the book of Genesis. All nations will be blessed through him. Now, Abraham, man of humility, I believe. Here's the promise of God that I'm going to bless every nation through you, through your seed, your child that comes after you. Now, it must have seemed to Abraham to be impossible because he was already 70-something years old when his promise was made. He was not; He was 98 years old when the boy was finally born. Now, if I was 75 years old and God said, You know, you've never had any children before, but I'm going to give you a child, and through that child, all nations are going to be blessed. First of all, I think, why may God? And second, I think, this promise seems to be coming a little late. And 75 wasn't late enough. (laughs) 23 more years he had to wait until that son was born. But all along the way, he believed that God would do it. When that only son was born, he said, take this boy, your only son, to Mount Moriah, and there sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. Abraham loaded up his donkey, kissed his wife goodbye, and took Isaac up to the mountain to kill him. Why? Because he thought God said, "This boy, through him, all nations will be blessed." So even if I kill him, got to bring him back from the dead. And that's why God called him righteous. And we know that he lied. And we know that he did things wrong. And we know that he broke the commandments of God, just like every other person. But what thrilled God about Abraham was that he believed him. And that's what faith and salvation is. It's not works. It's faith. Scandalous. All you got to do is believe. Abraham lifted up his hand to slay his only son on Mount Moriah. God stopped him said, I promise, I swear by my own name. There's nothing greater by which he could swear. I swear by my own name, I will bless you. And then Abraham saw a ram caught in a thicket. He sacrificed it to the Lord and he called that place the Lord will provide. The Lord himself provided the sacrifice that day, foreshadowing the fact that on the day when it was called for, the Lord would not spare his only son, so that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. That's not law, it's gospel. So if that is how we are going to be saved, by our love for God, by our love for one another, if this is what is going to save us, why did God give the law? Why did God give you a command? Why did he demand something of you which you could never fulfill, that you would always fail? Is it a setup that God set you up to fail? He did not set you up to fail. We did that ourselves. We were already failing before the law came. Before the law came, we were already despising God. We were already hating neighbor. The law did not cause that. That was already in our hearts. The law comes as a revelation. The law is a thermometer. You feel sick. You wonder if you're sick. You go get a thermometer. You look at the temp and you see, oh, I am sick. And then you're disappointed sometimes when it says, well, you're not sick. But the Bible and the scripture is a thermometer. You stick that thing in your heart. And you go, I'm sick. I'm sick. Before the law came, we were sick already. But we look at the law and it diagnoses us. What's my problem? I don't love God. I don't love him. Love the Lord your God and love him only and have no other gods before him. I fail. Love your neighbor as yourself. I fail. You shall not steal. I find in my heart a thief. I find in my heart. Do not covet your neighbor's possessions. We do that. We covet them. Bible says don't commit adultery. Maybe we could survive that. Maybe some of us couldn't. And Jesus says if you lust in some lust for someone in your heart, you've committed adultery already. There's the law. Something's wrong with my heart. Something's wrong with me. doesn't help me. doesn't help me in the sense that it gets me any closer to God. It just tells me I'm dying. The diagnosis has come back from Scripture. It says, look, you have a sin cancer and it is fatal. Um, it is fatal so faithful it will kill you every time so sin has given me this spiritual cancer I am dead I'm flatlined on the table and there's nothing I can do the law doesn't help me it just tells me where I am it can't save you and the loss and, and you say well look I'll do better I'll keep this law no you won't the law will diagnose you there too you won't keep it and you and the problem with the law is you will even agree that it's good you agree it We shouldn't steal. I mean, if we took a poll, I would hope that 100% would say it's bad to steal your neighbor's stuff. It's bad to commit murder. You shouldn't murder people. We should all agree on that. We shouldn't murder people. We shouldn't covet people's stuff. We shouldn't commit adultery. And so we'll agree to all those things. But when we get right down to it and we sit before the doctor of the Holy Spirit and it begins to apply the law to our life, we find that in our heart is a murderer, is a thief, is a hater, is a killer, is a liar, is a thief. All of these things are in there. So even though we agree, as Paul says in Romans, that the law is good and just and holy, we agree with that, and yet we find at the same time in our heart we conflict against those laws. That's why people are so desperate now to prove themselves that they're on the right side, to have affirmation from their peers that they're okay. Everybody wants to hear that they're okay. And everybody, a lot of people, bad counselors would tell you that you're okay, but you're not okay. The Bible says you're not okay. I'm not okay. Not according to the works of the law, I'm not okay. The scripture sets up a standard we can't keep. Here it says that scripture has bound up everyone under sin, every single person. The law is there to convict us at every turn because we are a sinful people and God wants us to know it so that we will know where to go. The law is everywhere. The law blocks every path to righteousness that we will try. Everything that we try to do in our own works, we find ourselves blocked off by works of the law. Even just love our neighbor. Can't even love the people we live with. We fail at it. We're impatient. We're selfish. We fail. And so every where we go, even the simplest of laws, even the rightest of things, even the nicest of things, all the things which we hold up to be sacred. Friendship. We're bad friends. We find ourselves not being good friends. We hold up marriage. It's a sacred covenant, a union. We say it. We go to weddings. We cry that we will promise to be faithful and true, to have and to hold forever till death do us part. And we break that covenant, blame it on another person. Sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's ours. We break the law. The law came to keep us as a guardian. It was a gift. It is a gift. The word here used for guardian is, I'll just tell you, because you probably don't read Greek and you may not have a good commentary. You used to send a slave to school with a child to make sure he wasn't jumped by bandits on the way or molested by someone along the road. It, like I said, it was kind of bad to live back in the old days. Walk your kid to school. Like a nanny. This is what this is, is a nanny taking care of you. The law was the guardian. How is it protecting you? What was it protecting you from? The lies of the world. The world tells you this okay. You look at the law of God the law of God says this ain't okay. But I find myself wanting to do what the world says. It's not only protecting you from the world, it's protecting you from yourself. From your own waywardness. Look, if kids in those days are a lot like kids in this day. If they didn't want to go to school, they didn't have this garden, they might ditch class. This person make sure they get there. Get to school and they get home. The law is there. To keep us. Made us often do things we didn't want to do. That's what the law is for. Because without it, we go astray. The worst condemnation in all the Bible, and you can read this over and over again in Judges to find out, it seems so innocuous at first. But as you read the book of Judges, you realize the horror of it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's what happens when the guardian's gone. You go through and read the book of Judges, you'll be aghast. Like nobody went to heaven in those days, apparently. I don't know what happened. It was a horror show. The most disgusting, vile things you'll find in the scripture happened in the book of Judges. You leave your scratch in your head. How could these things be? That's what happens when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. That's what happens when a people forgets the law of their God. It can't save them, but it can tell they need saving. Blocking every path to righteousness. The Bible says the law is a guardian, a keeper. It's protecting us from ourselves. It's protecting us from lies. And so with every avenue of justifying ourselves cut off, then where will we go? I cannot do it. I cannot do it. I will fail. Judgment day is coming. And I find that all of my works are filthy and not good the judge comes. And it is his word that has told me that I have failed. What option do I have left to me? He is coming. His army is bigger than mine. He is stronger than me. I cannot wrestle with God and prevail. What will I do? There's only one path to righteousness. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. That's the path to righteousness. There's a lot of sinners in here. And your only hope is of escape is that path. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. God speaks to us through his word just exactly like he spoke to Abraham in his day. To Abraham he said, uh, through you all nations will be blessed. And to you, sinner, this morning he says, believe on my son. I'll forget about all this other stuff. Believe on my son and be saved. Repent of the things that you do and are going to do, even though I'm not judging you based on your successful completion of the law. Believe on my son and be saved. Love him with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you'll be saved. In a sermon on 1 John 4, 4 through 12, Augustine of Hippo said this. Once and for all, I give you one short command. Love God and do what you will. If you hold your peace, hold your peace out of love. If you cry out, cry out in love. If you correct someone, correct them in love. If you spare them, spare them out of love. Love God and do what you want. That's crazy. (laughs) But if you get those backwards, boy, you're in trouble. But if you love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, if you're perfected in love, you can do whatever you want. Because there is no law against love. That is salvation. Loving God enough to be an imitator of Christ in every way of your life as you can. Not because he is grading you, but because he is loving you. The law does not require love and cannot demand it. The law does not require faith. And that's why the promise of God is not based on law. It is based on faith and love. The house of the Lord and the kingdom of God is a house of faith and love. It is not a house of good people. There are no good people here. We are sin-sick hypocrites, and that's a fact. When the world points out our hypocrisy, we may as well agree with them, because we are. And it's worse than they know, because they don't know everything we think or do or say. But in this house and in this kingdom God teaches us to love one another and he is patient with us and he is kind with us and he is pleased with us because we love him. And at the end of the day we come not with any presentation of our works but only our sin and he accepts us every day. That's the gospel. So if you continue to chase in your life things that the world says you must do in order to be a good person whether it's on one side or the other, I don't care you will wind up a frustrated and fearful person. Because when you lose the the approbation, when you lose the affirmation of your peers, if you go against that group, you'll be worried about what kind of person am I becoming. We should not do that. These laws will never save us. This pursuit will never save us. It will never make us happy. It will never give us joy. The only path to enlightenment, to faith, to security, to becoming who you're called to be, is to believe God in everything. When he says, you are wrong, you say, I am wrong. Believe the Lord. Your life will be credited to you as righteousness. You can make decisions then, knowing that even if I make a mistake, I'm doing this and submitting my life to the Lord. He will forgive me. I am not sinning and then looking for forgiveness. I am doing my best to walk before the Lord, knowing that he is gracious, compassionate, and will never leave and forsake me. He loves me. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you, a rebel justifying yourself by law. He saved you and brought you to him by grace through faith. The power of the promise of God is salvation, and the purpose of the law is to teach you you need faith. That's the purpose of the law. You need faith. That's the only antidote for the sickness that ails us, is faith. If we live by the law, we will die by the law, we will die a little bit every day, and we will die throughout all eternity. But the promise has always been the plan, Paul says. 430 years before Moses on Sinai, he said, Believe in me. Abraham did, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul says here, Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham and are his children. Are his children sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham, sitting at the kingdom table with all Israel. That's us. Not by law, but by faith. God didn't bless the Gentiles by law. He did it by faith. So this morning, remember, you have a God who loves you. And the only thing he wants from you in return is your love and repentance. And he will make you well. Let's pray.